morning, folks. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. <clears throat> on our way to our local roundtable, let me welcome two folks into our studio, Emil Volchek and Kathleen Wisbach, his wife, are with us here today. Uh, a couple years back when we had our campaign to build our studio for the Center for Emerging Media over 32nd and St. Paul, they were contributors. And one of the things we said was, come in and help us watch the show and maybe help produce a little bit. And they're here today to collect two years later, but they're here, which is good. And uh, good to have them here. If they waited until next week, we wouldn't be here to do it. So they're here this week. Good to have them here. So, um, and good to have you all here at 410... And thank you for your contribution and helping to build the Center for Emerging Media. 410-319-8888 is a number to call. You can also uh, tweet us at Mark Steiner. Email us at talkasteinershow.org. Log on to our Facebook pages uh, with your comments and thoughts. We get On our first hour here, as we usually do on Mondays, which is our national roundtable, uh, there are many things to look at, and I thought we would focus on two specific things in the course of the hours. Here our conversation ranges and where you take us at 410-319-8888. Uh, first uh, is obviously we look always at this, what's happening out of Washington, D.C., and sometimes you spend so much time worrying about the shenanigans and the tweets of the man sitting in the White House that we don't think of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, yes, there are things, you know, when, when he tweets out, we're going to, uh, I can pardon the world or whatever his exact words were. <laughs> Whatever's going through his mind at, at that moment um, that you can't quite control, they can't control. There are things that have been going on. Part of those things have been going on. Uh, and uh, we've talked a lot about the EPA, l- rules and laws being passed, uh, what's happening with voting rights in America. Nobody's really talking about that in a focused, serious way in local or national media, it seems, and conversations, which has to be talked about because it's uh, threatening the right to vote in this country. When you look at um, Betty DeVos, who is the new Secretary of Education, uh, and her latest uh, speech at ALEC, which is an organization that that writes legislation legislation around the country um, to uh, from a conservative perspective and a, and a corporate perspective, um, she would she and her family's company would benefit mightily from the privatization of education in this country, as would her as would her brother-in-law's company, Mr. Prince, uh, who is now advocating and pushing forward with the help of both Jared Kushner and Steve Bannon. Uh, to privatize parts of the armed services to do our work in Afghanistan and around the world. But nobody's paying attention to that. That is going to be a major piece of our conversation. What's happening behind these headlines around Trump, to me, is more uh, important to kind of deal with and address. And also what happened in Minneapolis, which has been causing uh, a lot of conversation, the, the killing of Justine DeMond, a young Australian woman, uh, and Philando Castile's mother, and the young man who was uh, killed by the police, shot uh, five times in his car when he was going for his wallet. She came to comfort him and to walk and stand with him. So there's a lot here to kind of talk about in the juxtaposition of what happens when some people say because a young white woman was killed, now the police chief has to resign. Uh, what happened before? Um, but again, and people argue that, that, that uh, I've read some articles saying that Philando Castile's mother should not have gone there, uh, that, you know, to, to, to put her arms around a white man who, who's, uh, whose uh, uh, fiancé was killed. But her response and other responses, compassion is universal. And don't lose your political analysis, but don't lose your compassion. So how do you do that? So we're going to wrestle with some of these things with our guests. Joining us once again here, as he did last week, Bill Fletcher, Jr., is senior scholar with the Institute for Policy Studies, editorial board member of the Black of BlackCommentator.com, co-author of the indispensable Al- indispensable ally, Black Workers in the Formation of the Congress of Industrial Organizations, and author of their bankrupting us and twenty of the myths about unions. Dr. Carsonia K. Whitehead is in this house a lot. She's also of numerous books. My latest, the latest one being My Black Sons Raising Boys in a Post-Racial America, and is an op-ed writer about both of the Sun and at the Afro-American, and uh, speaks across the country on these many other issues, and is Associate Professor of Communication and African and African-American Studies at Loyola University of Maryland, and Jeff Singer, founder of Healthcare for the Homeless, former executive director who retired two years ago, three years ago, how many? Five years ago. Five years ago. ago. Wow. I know. And he continues to be an activist in our community around housing issues and issues of homelessness and race and more. And good to have the three of you with us. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888, as I said. And I, I mispronounced her name. I always start her name. It's Betsy DeVos. Sorry. I know I say something else all the time. I why I want to change her name all the time. Maybe it's some kind of subliminal, unconscious thing on my part. I'm not Maybe sure. by the time you get it right, she'll be out of there. Who knows, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case. But let, let's begin, if we can, with uh, with Minneapolis for a moment, and then, and then go to Washington D.C. and talk a bit about what I mentioned at the top of the hour. Um, any killing is horrendous, um, and this this has caused a lot of consternation. Obviously, they moved the police chief out, but it's also made people kind of focus on police killings. They didn't seem to focus on when Philando Castile was murdered in his car by the by the police officer who got off, by the way. Um, and now we have a young man, a Somali-American police officer, a black man who killed this a white woman, and and the table scene returned. But what are our perspectives on this? Well, one of the things I think this is, is very disturbing. Dr. K. Whitehead. Yes, that as as we start off, the fact that we're even introducing him as a Somali-American police right. officer. Right. When I think about the number of killings, and I, I I'm just going to go back four years. I could easily go all the way back to the foundation of this country. But just thinking about the birth of Black Lives Matter. And, and the work that's being done with both the Black Lives Matter movement and the movement for black lives to draw attention to unarmed black people, black and brown people being killed by police officers. This is one of, because I've been searching online, asking people on Facebook to help me. This is the first time that I'm hearing in the introduction what the religious makeup, what the ethnicity is of the police, a Somali American police officer, the Muslim community is bracing for a backlash. And is it because a white woman was killed? I mean, I'm thinking of what happened in Minnesota with um, Philando Castile. I think about the ways in which the city responded, primarily the black and brown communities. Uh, and there were a number of white people who, of course, work with Black Lives Matter who were also involved in that. But the outrage that we're seeing in this particular instance, the outrage and the fear being shown by his community that there might be a backlash from other interested parties around the United States, the fact that they feel they're being put under a microscope, I think it's very concerning, and it draws into question some of the bigger issues that we wrestle with here on the Mark Steiner Show around race, around the ways we see race, around the ways we deal with gender, and around who's going to be responsible for answering the bigger questions that we wrestle with as a nation. Bill? Not supposed to, you're not supposed to kill white people. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, that's basically what we're being told. Uh, that, I mean, it was, it was absolutely remarkable in this situation where, uh, you know, immediately they declared this a homicide. Mm. And I can't remember in a case with an African-American where they jumped so quickly to declare a killing a homicide. Uh, I mean, the moment that I found out that it was uh, a Somali police officer, Somali ethnically, uh, I, I mean, I knew that we were in for trouble, um, and that there would be some sort of there was going to be some sort of uh, backlash. But the fundamental thing here is that you know the perception of who is more likely to commit a crime versus who is not. So the presumption that this Australian white woman could possibly commit a crime and therefore uh, her killing be justified. That just that doesn't fit the equation in the United States. Jeff? Just two brief comments. One, uh, this reminds me of the opioid crisis, which mm. didn't become a crisis until white folks from the suburbs were involved, and now it's a crisis. Uh, secondly, just a reminder that race, gender, and class are the foundation of whatever happens particularly in this country, and our understanding, our analysis, and our reactions. And uh, it makes it extremely difficult to disentangle all of these factors. So I'm curious, well, then, what is our response to this? I'm going to open the phones to this in a moment before we switch to D.C., but what, what is our well, so what, should, what is the response? I mean, I'm curious what the response is, both in terms of the action by the police, another innocent person killed, but our reaction, given what everybody's just said here, and how we respond to it, what's our response politically? What do we say politically? What, is the, what does the movement say? What do Black Lives Matter say? What do any movement say about this at this moment? How do we respond to this complexity to move things forward? 
Bill? I think we, to pick up on the last speaker, I think that there is an analogy of the opioid crisis on a number of levels, and we don't sit back and simply say, well, now that it's happening to white folks, we can just sit back and coast, right? Uh, we have to look at this and, and identify the social nature of the crime, uh, whether it's the opioid crisis or whether we're talking about the killing of this woman. The killing of this woman was wrong, pure and simple. And it should raise a whole series of questions, and progressives need to be raising them, about the approach of the police towards law enforcement. I don't think that there's any room to sit back and, uh, and be sarcastic around this. I think that we do, though, need to constantly raise the differential in treatment. Why is there this differential in treatment? Why is it that when a white person is killed, that there's automatically a response, whereas when, when one of us is killed, there's always this, this uh, cloud of suspicion? I think that that's what needs to be raised at the same time that we're challenging the way that law enforcement acts. I agree with Bill. I do think it's it's kind of a couple of different answers that must be put forth. One is looking at uh, the historical contextualization. What what Bill said earlier. We don't you don't kill white people. Just period. White people are above the law. Uh, white people are infallible. Uh, white women are are on this kind of pedestal, and and that's the historical contextualization that we have been fighting against for hundreds of years whose life ultimately in the center of this country really matters we are reminded of this and in this case you know the rush to want to convict the concern around what's going to happen when when ordinary people and i'm saying people who are civilians respond in mass on towards that community because they believe the community is wrong and so as a lesson to this somali police officer then the the nature and the idea that the community might actually be under attack Hack and might be in danger from response. That, that's one part of the answer. Second is I really like what Philando Castile's mother did. The idea of coming, standing, embracing uh, this white male to show us and to teach us and to prove to people that compassion is not connected to race. Compassion is not connected to gender. Compassion is not connected to class in the ways in which we try to tie things up, that something brutal happened, and it happened also to Philando Castile's mother. And so embracing him to say, I know what you're going through. I'm standing here with you. I thought that was wonderful. And then there's a lot of pushback on that. You know, why is it that it's, you know, the black community who's the first to extend compassion, the first to be asked after the Dylan Storm Roof, you know, murder of nine people, are you ready to forgive yet? The first to have a a microphone stuck in the face of people like Rakia Boyd's grandmother to wait for her to extend forgiveness without giving people a chance to mourn, to go through the stages of anger, as if we always have to be in the position to forgive, to overlook, to be kicked down. I just, I've been reminded so much of what Dr. King said that, you know, you have to stand up straight. No man can ride you unless your back is bent. So if you're always extending, extending, what does that then call us to do and to think about? Not to be sarcastic, which is what Bill said, but to really think about some of the bigger questions that are being raised here. Jeff Singer. Oh, I prefer to listen and think about this matter than to uh, wax uh, ineloquent. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, this is, I mean, to me, it's, um, the combination of, of what we've talked about here, and you, you raised the opioid crisis a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're seeing come out of the national leadership of this country at the moment in Washington, they're all to me very connected here. Um, you know, and I think that that's something we have to really kind of think about and wrestle with. There's a book written called Democracy in Chains. Oh, yeah. The Deep History of the Radical Rights Stealth Plan for America, written by Nancy McLean. Yeah. Um, and the the real divide about who we are, and I and I think that this... Um, this instance says a great deal to me about how you build a movement and how people come together to kind of create a different vision of America. This might be totally off the wall, but let me throw this out here. Um, someone sent me a, a, um, a uh, video of uh, Santana mm. in one of his latest videos, and it's my guitar gently weeps, <laughs> right? And Indy Irie sang, mm. he played, mm. a woman 
who could be Latino, I don't know, was was a, a woman who's in prostitution, but then her guitar saves her with this, it, going out to the the, the uh, with this group kind of from from being on this sideshow burlesque thing that she was in, and that was the video that was being shown with my guitar gently weep. And I raised that because what I wrote to somebody back was, to me, this is the force of a, of the new America. This is what Santana is telling us. Mm. This is the kind of understanding of race and gender and the multiracial coalition that has to be built if we're going to do anything that makes, if we're going to make this work. And th that's what I thought about that, and I thought about that in terms of the murder that just took place in Minneapolis and of the, all the contradictions that that raises. And I think we have to really real flexibility, tackle these contradictions straight on. Um, and, and to kind of use it as, using these as moments to educate, organize, and to help build something for change. That's what we have to do, Mark. I mean, at, at every point. But I think that the issue of the differential in treatment, the racial imposed differential in treatment, has to be something that we address. And this goes back, and I know I'm, you know, I'm beating this drum over and again, but it goes back to the, uh, the uh, differences I had with the approach of the Bernie Sanders campaign, that, yes, we are all being screwed. That's correct. But there is a racial differential in treatment that exists, that's historic, and that happens whether we're in good times or bad times. It happens when it comes to the police. It happens when it comes to education. It happens when it comes to home ownership, and one of the things that progressives can ill afford is to blur that and to act as if we're all in the same boat. We may be in the same boat, but we're certainly in different sections of that ship. I think it's hard to reconcile, um, because I, you know, I think all of us, if I can speak very broadly, think deeply about these issues. I was thinking about what Jeff said, to take a moment to kind of, you know, let, let, let the ideas just sit. It is interesting because when it happened immediately, there was no moment to sit and think. It was, you know, people began emailing me, asking me questions. I had my sons asking me questions to try to figure out what is the response in this situation. I, I don't believe in sarcasm. I do believe in, in thinking deeply about it, but I also know that this particular issue is raising the flag to some of the things we've been talking about in this country with Black Lives Matter for four years. I mean, why do we have to say Black Lives Matter? matter because we're living in a country that continues to remind us or wants to set up has done a 400 year advertising campaign to say that your lives don't matter so now that a white woman has been killed now it's like what is happening with the police they're out of control we need mandates in place perhaps we should think about cops sitting with you know an unholstered guns sitting on the seat shooting across their partners when someone walks it's the same thing we've been saying we said it with mike brown we said it with trayvon we said it with Tamir. I mean, we said it over and over again and I know when we talk about Trayvon, I want to be clear, he was a self, you know, self-described, self-nominated, you know, vigilante. But it's this idea that you can use any unchecked force against the criminalized black and brown bodies and we can find ways to justify it, to not even offer indictments, to have you back on the street, to put you on paid leave, to not call for mayors other than within the black-brown community for Black Lives Matter, calling for mayors to resign and now look at what's happening in Minnesota. No, no, you must do something to put these police officers to check their behavior. They're running rampant. We have been saying that. And it has fallen on deaf ears. I mean, sometimes it's just interesting that it takes a certain thing to happen to turn the spotlight back around and say, you know, this is exactly what I just said. I said it last week. And I said it when there was no indictment for Lando Castile. We said the exact same thing that a number of people in the white community are saying today. I'm like, you're marching, we marched. You're crying, we cried. That's the same thing is happening. So let me get to the phones here, and, I, I, and when we come back from the break, I, I want to kind of talk about what's happening in, in Washington, that, because we can't let that go by as well. Before you do, Mark, can I just throw one quick thing in here? Oh, please do. Please do. Bill. It seems to me that in order to do what was just articulated, again, there, that there is, an, that we have to decriminalize mm. African Americans. Yes. Right? I mean, that's part of what has to happen. The presumption that we are animals. The presumption that we are criminals, mm. right, that has to be challenged. If it is not challenged, then yes, people will come together in the case of the Minnesota killing. 
and it will cross racial boundaries, there'll be outrage, etc. But then, right, just remember what happened in 1970 when there was Kent State, mm, yes. and then a few weeks later, right. there was Jackson State. Right, and what do we remember? Right, we, what we remember is the massive turnout mm-hmm. in response to the killing of white students at Kent State, a justifiable turnout, by the way, in response to this horrendous killing. And then a few weeks later, when black students were killed, there was no such mobilization. None. Right? And, and that difference is what we have to keep reminding ourselves. Who has the legitimate life and who doesn't? Right? And this is one of the themes that recurs throughout U.S. history. And in my lifetime, I've seen it countless times. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Mike. I have um, ranted for years since the very beginning about Kent State and Jackson State, yes. when, it, when it actually happened and how we forgot so quickly and how we kind of wrapped our arms around the four dead young students mm-hmm. uh, from Kent State but not the ones at Jackson State. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was something that um, I'll never forget. I mean, that is, there's a direct line. And so we, ha- we still have a way to go here. We have so a long way to go, mm-hmm. um, and the question is: I, I, what I've been trying to wrestle with here for 20, uh, 24 years in the air is how we get there, right? And what do we do? Right. How do we open this up and use these those moments to bring people in to understand this in ways that can broaden our and, and change the world that we live in to create an America the way it's you know rather than having this democracy we have, which I always say is a democracy that is. That is being hollowed out, is hollowed out from the inside because of the way it began, with these mm-hmm. gorgeous documents about freedom and liberty that were only freedom and liberty for some people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And the contradiction was there from the beginning. And now we're seeing the hollowing out, which is why I think the battle lines are being drawn in America mm-hmm. is around that hollowing out, at least from my perspective. Um, let's get a call in here before we go to break. Can we do that here? 410-319-8888. James, you've been holding on the longest. You're on the air. Yes. Hello, Mark. Uh, and your guest. Good morning, um, James. Could you, done your, could you turn down your radio so we could hear you? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, Mark, this is this is like a song, uh, the modern day song more. Okay, a lot of people don't read the Bible no more. Uh, believe in God, right now. The best religion is believe in God and do what God asks you to do. That's the best religion. That's the religion right there. Okay. What's happened? The worst that happened to this 90-year-old man that killed his house, uh, that's, that's a sign of the world is coming to an end really shortly. You know, you can expect the worst. Whatever happened, it's the worst. That means that we're not supposed to uh, keep on doing what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do the best for the world and uh, try to do our best. But still, people are not believing in God, not even trusting God, and, and um, time is coming. All right, James, appreciate the call. Um, uh, should we take a break here? Do you want to we get time for a break? Or take a very quick break and come right back. Uh, Leo, you're up. Uh, so is Clarence. So is uh, Leo uh, Ernest. And we are going to uh, bring the issues in about what we're missing in D.C. and not focusing on. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, folks, welcome back. This is Mark Steiner. I'm here with Bill Fletcher, Jr., Dr. K. Whitehead, and Jeff Singer, and you at 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talkatsteinershow.org. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. But let let, let me switch gears for a moment, then we open the phones again. Mm -hmm. And Leo, you're the next caller up, so we're going to get right to your call. Um, What I was talking about earlier was all the things I think we're missing as we kind of focus in on Donald Trump and people focusing on on whether his deep support for who he is or people focusing on the shenanigans and madness that some people see as his uh, as his presidency um, and you know just even the even the even the whole issue of the investigation around Russia and mm-hmm. and the meetings that his son-in-law may have had and his son may have had with uh, the Russians beforehand and his threats against Republicans and Mueller and the rest and what's happening as we do this, all the things under the radar are going unnoticed mm-hmm. in terms of what's being passed by the House and the Senate. I mean, we're focusing on what they could never get done, which is health care. Right. Not focusing on things that could actually, what will actually affect the future of this country, whether it's a privatization of the military, the privatization of, of our educational system, the privatization of the Veterans Administration, all these things being pushed. Uh, what's happening with the Environmental Protection Agency. So, I mean, this, this to me, how do we move from 
the headlines around Trump to the reality of the political conflict that's taking place. How does that happen, Bill Fletcher? Well, you know, he, here's the way I look at it, Mark. I, I think, you know, because I've listened to people on the left that have been downplaying the issue of Russian hacking and the relationship between right. Trump and, and the Russians. I think that that's wrong, by, by which I mean this. I think that part of what we're looking at right now is a, is the, uh, a developing constitutional crisis that's playing itself out in terms of issues of the rule of law. And, and I, I was arguing on Facebook with someone recently about this and said, when after Watergate, the, it wasn't that, the, that Watergate was the only issue that was going on. It wasn't that the Vietnam War had stopped. Um, it wasn't like everyone just focused simply on Watergate. Watergate was the tip of the iceberg with a corrupt, authoritarian administration. I think we need to look at what we're seeing here as a tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean mm. that we ignore the other issues. Don't get me wrong, uh, because I think that you're right. I think that the way that much of the mainstream media has been playing this has been despicable. Just the regurgitation and recycling of all this uh, of the same story. But having said that, I think that we have to understand when you're on the tip of a constitutional crisis, you have to take that very seriously and understand the potential ramifications. Jeff Singer. My nephew recently gave me Paul Auster's new book, 4321. Uh, I didn't know that book. It's only 900 pages. And it, it's, it's sort of interesting. But basically, it's a history of the United States from about 1948 uh, uh -huh. to the early 70s. And on page 0743, <laughs> he reminds us that in 1968, nobody trusted the government and nobody trusted the news. And when Columbia University exploded... The New York Times faked a front-page story about the students who had occupied the buildings destroying them and behaving like animals. And they hadn't. It was the police who came in after the students were brutalized and, and shoved out of the building. The police destroyed the building. And the New York Times wrote a story before it even happened and then published this mm. fake news. And there were people who knew it was fake news. Right. I say that because I don't think what's happening today is, as Engels would have observed, a change in quality. It's a change in quantity. Everything you've described as going on in D.C. today also happened under Obama and Bush two and Clinton and Bush one, et cetera, et cetera. What may be the case is it's happening in bigger ways and it, we're more outraged by this guy who's in office, you know, and has no sense of discretion. But is that really worse? He's just taking more steps to destroy public housing, right? But it's the Obama administration that put in place some of these policies uh, that are privatizing public housing and kicking people out of it. And it was the Clinton administration that made it illegal to not replace public housing units, right? That was under Clinton. And we could describe all the terrible things that happened under Clinton, and he was a Democrat, right? So, you know, I've been on your show for 24 years saying the same thing. Until people stop working with them, voting for Democrats, and we organize ourselves independently, we won't see any changes. I don't think anything's different now from that analysis. Hmm. I, I, I agree with, with both uh, of what's been said before. I think what's interesting is that we have, on this show in particular, talked about the fact that people are more concerned uh, in the immediate way with what's happening coming from the Oval Office. I mean, there was a time you would think about the White House and the policies, but you would not have an immediate intimate relationship with Obama or Bush or Clinton in the ways that you're having with Trump. I mean, not just the ways in which he's created this persona from Twitter on down, but that you feel a personal 
a front every time he does something. So you get caught up. I mean, people are following him, which is what he wants, as a rock star. So there are all kinds of policies taking place, like Jeff has just said. Some have rolled over from the Obama administration. Some are being put forward. But we're more concerned about a tweet. And it is a carefully calculated campaign to get people moving away from looking at the real issues and the real problems to focusing on this one man and his shenanigans. We laugh about it. We joke about it. We talk about it. But it really is a very dangerous place to be in when you know more about what's happening in the personal life of the president than what's happening with the policies that impact this country. Let me open the phones. What are you all thinking? 410-319-8888. And I said the next caller would be Leo, and Leo it is. Welcome. Good morning, Mark Steiner. Leo Burroughs, how are you, brother? That's great. Good morning to all your guests as well. Good morning. Uh, what goes around does come around. We're, this young white woman from Australia was the victim of a wrongful action on the part of a black police officer in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And although she was not the victim of police brutality... Clearly, she's going to win uh, uh, her fa- uh, the family uh, of this woman's going to win a civil suit on wrongful death. The officer's action was a knee-jerk reaction based on the tenets of institutional racism. Uh, the police chief, as a consequence, has been removed after the mayor and the governor has gotten gotten involved. I'm wondering if we're going to remove the police commissioner of Baltimore City uh, as a consequence of his failed action to administer the duties of his office. Don't forget the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights, which exists in 14 or 15 states, including Maryland. It's true in Minneapolis and Minnesota as well. It gives the officers, uh, it gives the officers rights that residents don't have uh, regarding uh, the, the right of, of probable cause and the right of, uh, you help me out there, lawyers. Uh, it gives the, the officer the right not to have to speak uh, in matters which he ought to be required to speak. Uh, and they get what? Some places five days, ten days, because they're police officers. That's wrong. And we need to eliminate uh, the, un- the, 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 the violation of the 14th Amendment. That, that flows from this right of officers not to be questioned in matters of, of, of serious matters of injury or, or, or death. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry what happened. I'm glad that Philando Castile's uh, mother put her arms uh, around uh, the family of uh, this young white woman, but uh, the reality is that uh, if you keep doing what you're doing, you endanger ultimately everybody in the society, not only the black people that you've targeted. Leo, thanks. Always good to hear from you. There are no lawyers in the house today. <laughs> I don't think. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Let's go to Ernest. You're on the air. Hi, Ernest. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, the reason why that officer shot is the same way. Reason why all the white officers say. He put his life in fear. And that's what white people say when they shoot a black person and don't make a, a, a difference if it's a man, woman, or child, male or female. All around the country, white police has been killing black people and planting evidence, falsifying testimony in court. And the, the, the basic thing is this. You said you went back to, went back to uh, Kent State. But the most recent is O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. O.J. Simpson. Black people won't talk about it. Yeah, they never interview, uh, Charlie Rose interviewed Peter Neufeld and uh, uh, Barry Sheck. They explained from cover to cover why O.J. Simpson was not guilty. And Edo didn't let certain things in. However, they let him be sued. And the judge, uh, a Japanese judge, wanted to make up for Edo. Sued I have to stop you. I, I think sometimes that, 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 that uh, analysis about racism is really critical for America to deal with because we are a racist nation and we have to get to the bottom of it. But racializing stuff by saying you had an Asian American judge who was trying mm-hmm. to do it, I think that's absurd. Um, I, you know, I think that's really 
I mean, I think that's what this racist country does to us. It makes us racialize everything that it comes to existence and not wrestle with the reality of what racism really does to us in America and what it's done to our people, what it's done to our democracy, what it's done to black people, what it's done to native people, what it's done to um, various Latino communities in our, in, our, in our countries. I mean, I think there's always a real danger, I think, to kind of go over the line and maybe and, – and, and, Panel, push back if you don't agree with what I just said. No, I actually agree with you. I think there's a there's a big difference between dealing with individual racism because we talk about this a lot. Individual racism and really looking at systemic and institutionalized racism and looking at the system as a whole. That it's easy to kind of point out. Well, there's an Asian judge and it's a black man and they're getting back because of the white man, but it doesn't deal with the institutionalized racism that is at work at this moment. The systemic racism that comes through the system, regardless of who's sitting on the bench. It's the ways in which certain people in society are criminalized and I just I, I know I knew OJ was going to come up because OJ just got out and then OJ becomes he's not a out big, yet October I mean, yeah well you know he's on his <laughs> way we, we can feel the wind shifting right um, and people want to talk about the OJ verdict and I remember that I think when we get caught up in the really OJ well. verdict and talking about OJ we move away from what I just said move away to, to wrestling with some of the bigger issues that are at work and at play okay OJ's getting out he's 70 okay that doesn't Take away from the fact that we have a real issue around trying to dismantle institutionalized and systemic racism that we must talk and wrestle with beyond just kind of talking about OJ and the judge and you know his conviction and the fact that he's getting out. I, I think it's just a distraction. I remember the day that happened on our show, um, the day that OJ, we oh, can't no say anything to talk about that, and it, and it was really <laughs> interesting, the, the uh, war that took place on the air between yeah. callers oh. uh, over, over the over the OJ verdict was amazing to me. Bill, do you want to jump in with that? A little bit. I mean, well, first of all, you'll never be able to convince me that O.J. was innocent. Yeah, right? I'm, I just want to start there. <laughs> but, but it, you know, I, but I think that what's really what what strikes me and what struck me at the time, and and it relates to both of your points. We have to be very cautious because the fact of the racist assaults that have taken place against us does not mean that in every case. When something, uh, uh, an action is taken against someone who is of color, that that person is innocent, and and there was there was an anger that I understand in uh, by 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 many black folks around what happened in the O.J. case, but people were missing what was just raised about the issue of systemic racism, and that is in fact what we need to be uh, mm-hmm. focusing on. So let me, uh, let's, you want to jump into all this? Jeff, before we first day, first day of class, yeah. I always ask the students, and I'm sure Dr. Whitehead does the same, uh, race, class, gender, we can't talk about <laughs> any issue, whether it's you know the health policy class, the housing policy class, the community organizing class, we can't talk about any issue unless we take seriously these fundamental vectors of race, class, and gender. There are a couple of others, age and disability and so forth, but race, class, gender, everything is intertwined there, and we do our best to separate those vectors and put them back together. But after we've analyzed it, you, Mark, have said, what do we do about it? How do we end institutionalized racism? And I don't think we can do that without changing the class dynamics. Mm -hmm right, and the gender dynamics. We've got our work cut out for you. And I look forward to hearing what you're doing with this after the 31st of July. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of plans after the 31st of July. Uh, we're going to be podcasting. We're going to be um, working on some projects. Uh, Kay is involved in one of those projects Absolutely. where we are trying to create. Uh, and uh, we have a, a lot we're going to do. We're talking to other folks who are involved in other media in town, trying to create something new. So we are... We, we are um, we have big plans. We got plans. We're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. As my buddy says, Turkle would say, you know, keep on rolling until you can't. <laughs> keep your martinis in the fridge. That's what he, he Studs said something like that. I said, what's your secret, Studs? And Studs said, I keep cold martinis in my fridge. Every time I get home, I have one. <laughs> so that's what kept Studs Turkle going. <laughs> I think that would probably put me under if I did that every day, though. Um, 410-319-8888 is the number here. I'm going to go back to the phone here, but I just want to come back to what I was raising earlier here. So I think this is really important. And I, and I know, that I know Jeff, that Republicans and Democrats and, you know, the, the, and your analysis of being the same, and they are in many ways, I think. But in some ways, I think they're also different. And 
when you have a man, um, when you have folks in this White House, uh, what they put in place. Eric Prince was the man who ran the private army inside of Iraq. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and we saw the issues that happened there. So he is the, brother of, the brother-in-law of Betsy DeVos, who's Secretary of Education. They both are trying to privatize these two sectors of our world. Um, Jared Kushner and Bannon got Prince a meeting with Mattis, who's the new Secretary of Defense, to talk about privatizing um, portions of the armed services here in America for their work overseas. Uh, Betsy DeVos has just recently spoke at ALEC, and there she talked about, again, uh, one of the people who, who backs ALEC and backed her, uh, and one of the first people to speak there many years ago was her father's company, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the largest private education companies in America. So to me, this is, this is where the danger lives. I mean, we're talking about this is the mass erosion of any public sector whatsoever. To me, that's what I think happening under... Uh, uh, under the radar, inside of Congress, um, and that's what we're not focusing on. And I think that's is this is to our to our own detriment. I mean, um, and I think that's you know beyond Trump and his madness and whether you know he is, you know whether he, whether he's some people are. Well, I'm not even to go there. Let's just focus on what's happening under the radar. I don't want to get sucked into Trump madness at the moment. But I, I think how am I making too much of this, Bill Fletcher? No, see. I think the problem is when we disconnect Trump and his administration from the overall Republican agenda. That's where the problem lies, as opposed to looking at Trump in many ways serving as an icebreaker uh, who is opening up the path for the convoy to come in. And, 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 and what he is doing uh, through some of this nonsense, uh, through some of the, uh, the demagoguery, is, in fact, uh, leading people to misunderstand the nature of the moment that we're in. The moment is not one where we simply have an idiot running the country, someone who's completely out of control. We have a regime that is in place that wishes to reverse the 20th century. That is their objective. They wish to reverse all of the gains made since 1912. That's that's what that's what's going on here, and so and and Trump is part of that process. Uh, the thing that we have to be clear on is that if Trump is removed from office, uh, that does not mean that we then are in the land of milk and honey, uh, because we would then have, assuming that Pence takes over, mm. a very um, intelligent highly ideological, in fact, fanatical uh, administration that would be, uh, that would be um, in place that is, would not be jumping around, would not be erratic. It would have a very defined strategy and, and motion. And so it would be very deadly. That's why I'm saying we're looking at a regime. We're not just looking at an individual which goes to your point about these other issues that are taking place. Or uh, when you mentioned DeVoe, when you talk about, I mean, Eric Prince um, suggesting that what needs to happen in Afghanistan is to bring in more mercenaries and replace all U.S. troops with mercenaries, which is much of what the Roman Empire did in its, uh, in its uh, declining years. I just wanted to share hey. what... Um, okay, I was well, Go ahead. <laughs> Let me just jump to Jeff real fast. Jeff? Oh, I'm happy to cede my time to Dr. K, although I will, <laughs> I will mention that I don't think any of this is, is really very new. I'm not sure why. I have great respect for Mr. Fletcher, but I'm not sure why he mentioned 1912 when this racist from my home state was elected president and wouldn't permit African-American folks in the White House and, in fact, showed a birth of a nation and applauded the racism mm-hmm. of that. The, the Wilson administration... You know, despite some uh, protestations about peace, prosecuted World War One and created the conditions for all kinds of segregation in Washington D.C. But wait, 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 well, the reason that? I mentioned it was because of the so-called Progressive Era mm-hmm. and the beginning of the introduction of various forms of federal statutes to address uh, many of the issues that people have been fighting around. 
I wasn't talking about the election of Wilson, and your point is clearly well taken. No, I, I was actually going to ask the same question, too, about 1912. We're having that odd moment on radio when Mark Steiner's pointing, <laughs> and we're silent for a second. So I will jump in with, with the point I was trying to make that I think what's interesting as people focus on uh, on Trump and on the possible impeachment of Trump, which may be coming any day or, or any moment now, but I think that people need to understand that under Trump, people are actually more engaged. People are more involved. They're talking about the issues in ways that I've really never seen. And I, I would like to say I'm not that old, but I've never seen people engage with politics as much as possible, getting involved with who has been elected as your local official, coming to meetings, reading the paper, trying to figure out their positions on things, rather than letting the White House and Washington continue to move the country. People are actively engaged. And I think that when that day comes that Trump is no longer in office, either from impeachment or hopefully he's got to the end of his term, if Pence takes over, it will go back to this traditional style of government that decide and announce. There will not be any tweeting. You won't know the next steps. And it will be a different regime. I mean, I, what I think of, and I, I don't, of course, go back to 1912. I think about, you know, under Bush, after 9-11, the way that the White House was shut down, moved to this kind of decide and announce, you know, for our own safety, we were told, right? With quotations, we, for our own safety, the, the White House moved to a decide and announce stand. So there were all kinds of policies taking place that you did not find out about until they had moved through. When you get Obama and there was this kind of transparency that opened up, Trump is clearly out of control. I see Pence going back and shutting the White House back down with this idea, we have been elected by the people, let's do the job. The people don't have to know everything we're doing because we're empowered to do the job on their behalf, whatever that's going to look like. Before we get the phones, thoughts? Mr. Singer? <laughs> Well, fundamentally, we just need to keep organizing. I mean, you're right to help us focus on what is happening in D.C. relating to public policy. The budget proposal on the House side is really awful, really, really awful. They cut the HUD budget. They proposed to cut the HUD budget by 15 percent. The way public housing has been, you know, decimated since 1974 uh, becomes much worse uh, under this new regime for sure. They want to change the amount of money that poor folks have to pay for their subsidized housing. So we'll see lots more evictions and lots more homelessness. Sure, these things are terrible and we need to fight them. Uh, But fundamentally, Republican, Democrat, like Huey Long said, no matter which they are, they're serving the grub from the same Wall Street mm. kitchen. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> 410-319-8888. Clarence, you're on the air. Hey, thank you, Mr. Steiner. Good morning, um, A couple of things real very quick. Um, you know, you have to attack racism as a business, the economics mm. of racism. Mm. It's a business. Now... I would pose the question to a student, to students that you, your guests may disagree with me, is um, um, racism a product of structural racism or individual racism? I mean, you can put, which is a derivative of which? You, you know, that's a, com- that's a complex question there, you, you know. Um, as far as Mr. Steiner asking what have we missed in Washington, I'll give you a, a, an example of what may seemingly be of not an issue of importance, but... When you ask, as a computer specialist, when you ask me for someone's social security, last four digits of their social security number and their last name, and couple that in conjunction with um, um, uh, um, voter registration fraud under the guise that you want to look at voter registration frauds, and then you couple that with privatization of the Veterans Administration, social security, well, that sends up alarm bells because now you can delineate all of people who in this country who are getting entitlements from those organizations, and it makes it easy for you to identify those who are disagreement with your political ideology. Now, that's very scary. It may not seem so on the surface, but given who's in the White House today, it's very it's it's a major issue, and we just let that slide right on by. Oh, it's about road of registration fraud. No, it is not. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, um, I forgot, Mr. Stein, I, I'm, I'm old, so much on my mind. Have a good day, gentlemen. <laughs> Clarence, take care. Good to hear from you. Um, <laughs> I understand that syndrome. Um, you know, I, th- I think the, the, the issue of, of, of uh, 
voting commission established by uh, Trump's administration is another one. I mean, these are these. I think this is what you were saying earlier, Bill Fletcher. This, in many ways, is indicative of the organized resistance to any change that's taken place in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. In the last 100 years. 100 years. The the, the struggles that people have carried out, working people, women, people of color, etc., these are, there, there is a systematic effort to overturn this, and it's not new, uh, and I think that that's uh, an important point that your guests have raised. It's not like this is just happening. It's been growing for quite a while as part of a, of a right-wing agenda. And by the way, in terms of your caller's question about race, my argument is that since white people didn't exist on this planet before 1492, I would argue race was actually constructed. Mm-hmm. There were Europeans, but there were no white people. Right. And, and, and yeah, I think that's something we've talked about in this show before, just right. in our historical look. If you look at the, the, the texts that have been written for the last 2,000 years, when you even you read what Greeks and Egyptians, uh, Greeks and Romans wrote, they didn't talk about black people. No. They talked about... Egyptians, Ethiopians, people they interacted with that were in, in the continent of Africa, when you, you don't see the words take place about race and blackness and whiteness until the 1600s. Mm-hmm. That's when it really gets first written. Yeah, I mean, it's in, a social construct. Way. I, mean, I, I like so, what Clarence said. I think we get our students to the point where they can see and understand this a social construct. But what we have to understand is, you know, that, you know, we talk, that, you know misogyny is deep because it is almost as old as human existence. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, Racism is something that has was given life in the last 500 years. Mm-hmm. And see how deeply that has permeated not just American culture and American society, but world society, yeah. world culture. Yeah. Um, you and know. You've talked about that a number of times on the show. Right. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, I think it was an interesting question, but I think it's the question that if you were to ask students on day one, as Clarence suggested, the idea they would probably go, oh, it's about you know, individual racism, it's about structural racism, with the hope that you will get them through that to really understand how race is a social construct here in America that has then since splashed all over the entire world. But we start here with, with the founding of our nation and how that was used, of course, to promote and to help with the notion of enslavement, who's inferior, who's superior. All kinds of policies, practices, and laws and procedures came after that. So we do have to wrap up here. My, Already? Besides my producers, this has been great. Bill Fletcher, Jr., it's always phenomenal to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Look forward to continue, continue our conversations in Absolutely. whatever form those take in the coming months and years. Jeff Singer, my brother, always good to have you in the studio. Remind people the 29th, visit the Center for Emerging Media. For our books and bagels. Indeed. Books and bagels. Yes, and come bagels. join us for books and bagels. Jeff Singer will be there. Dr. K. Whitehead, always good to have you in the house. And I will be there, books and bagels. Hopefully my books won't be on the table being sold. But <laughs> <laughs> Only second and third copies. Only second and third copies, but I will be there. <laughs> So uh, you're sticking around. Mm-hmm. So stay with us, folks. Those who didn't get through this hour, I know that many of you have things to say about what's happening locally. Uh, we'll come back to that in just a moment. So stay with us and don't go anyplace. place.